0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High School of Life podcast. Uh, my name is Carter Chase, and my name is Lewis Smith. And today, we have a special guest with us. Lewis, let's let's tell him about it.
1: Andy Tennell is our special guest.
0: Andy Tennell.
1: Andy Tennell was born and raised in Logan, Utah. Uh, Utah, Utah, for Utah. Our- for our Utah listeners,
0: Utah boys or on un- Utah, un- Utah boys. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: He currently works at Utah State University, where he went to college to earn a bachelor's degree and then later a master's in business administration at Utah State University. Andy works at the in- entrepreneurship center, where he helps students start their own
0: businesses. So uh, for all those of you guys who want to have their own business, pay close attention To this interview, Um, also at Utah Utah State University, uh, Andy runs an amazing program called SEED, uh, which stands for Small Enterprise Education Development. Basically, they go to really, really poor countries like Ghana, Philippines, Dominican Republic, and help people who are living on about $1 a day break out of poverty. Poverty, excuse me. Um, One of Andy's businesses is rapid progression kayak school and has combined his passion for whitewater kayaking and entrepreneurship at rapid progression he has taught hundreds of people all over utah how to kayak uh lewis here has been to his camp several times what do, what do you think about that
1: it's awesome it's a great way to get outdoors get on the water learn a new sport slash activity um yeah he'll talk about it which is great it's awesome um you guys will probably notice as we go through this interview that Andy isn't only a super smart guy with a cool story, but he has a heart of gold. As he describes his businesses, you'll notice that they don't only seem really—they uh, don't seem really businesses to have, but that everything Andy does focuses around lifting other people. It's so true. He's like—he's the type of guy that you'd go to for like friendly advice. Um, we're going to talk to him about some of these businesses. We'll also also talk to him about an incredible thing he did for a young blind musician that he met in Hawaii. You'll love this story.
0: Um, And he's also started several other small businesses, including Weave Sleeve, which we will talk about in a hot minute later in this episode. Um, And that is about working with artisans in Guatemala, helping to preserve their culture of weaving. Uh, If Andy isn't working on a new business idea, Andy can be found spending time with his wife Monica and playing outside with his sons Elijah, Noah, and Lincoln enjoying nature. So, uh, we actually started off by talking about this blind piano player in Hawaii, so we'll just hop right into that part of the episode.
2: Um, Yeah, I met Kuhao a handful of years ago. Um, I am from Cache Valley, born and raised here in Logan. Uh, live in River Heights, but Kuha'o um, is this blind individual from the Big Island of Hawaii. And I was able to meet him when he came to Utah. It was always his dream to play the organ at Temple Square. And so he, along with his grandparents, came to Utah. And while they were here, my uh, she's since passed, passed away. But one of my, my great aunt was living on the Big Island of Hawaii, knew him and his family. And so she kind of helped plan and orchestrate what they did while they were here in Utah. And one of the things that they did is they came here to Logan and they spent a few days um, in my parents' home. And that's where I initially met Kuha'o, was there when he was just staying with them during the trip. And I guess the long, the reason why I got involved with Kuha'o is because while he was staying at my parents' house, um, you know, we, we came and listened to him play the piano. And so he's this he's been blind since he was an infant he was born um, several months premature and um, during one of the operations that they had to give him the uh, too much oxygen was administered and he uh, ended up going blind his is detached from his eyes so he's been blind since he was an infant but he taught himself how to play the piano and so at my parents house we were listening to him you know play and do his thing and it was pretty neat because we asked him how he learned new songs and he said I just need to hear a song a couple times and I can play it. And so um, we tried that with, I think it was a, a, a song from lame Um, and he did that and it was just amazing. And, and I felt, you know, inclined. I needed to go get my, like my video camera. So I grabbed my video camera and I, and I filmed him listening to like a dubstep song and he listened to it. And then he sat on the piano and I recorded the whole process and it was unreal. I mean, it was, it was really cool to, to be able to see that. Um, and then I uploaded that to YouTube just to, just to share with a few friends. And uh, that, vir- that video ended up going viral and being shared a bunch. And then since it was posted on my YouTube account, people started contacting me. And um, the Ellen DeGeneres Show, producers from that were interested in having him on. Um, there were people that were asking who Kuha'o was, that were seeing his, you know, his talent and his gift wanting to know if he had produced any music. And so he hadn't produced a CD at that point. Uh, He wanted to, and that's kind of how I got involved and I met him. And so I, I helped out wherever I could, and we ended up doing like a Kickstarter for him and he, you know, I helped kind of manage some things and a lot of cool things happened because of that, you know, that first experience meeting him and uploading that video to, and that was never my intention. Right. But kind of cool what happened with that. you know, we, we, we went, went to several different places around the United States. He uh, did a TEDx teen talk in Manhattan with a lot of other youth from around the world, and was able to perform there. And we went to different states where he performed. I went to um, Taiwan with him, um, and he was able to perform there all over the country. So yeah, that's kind of my involvement with Kuhawa in a nutshell. It was just I I was involved, and I knew I could you know play a part in I guess his journey of you know chasing his musical dreams and aspirations and certainly I think anybody else else could have done what I did, but I just was, you know, kind of at the right place at the right time and just offered, you know, my, my help.
1: That's great. Um, what did you learn from Guaho? Like kind of like his perspective or just what did you take from his being with him?
2: You know, it's interesting. A lot of things, I think that there's one of the things he preaches and that's his message to everybody is that there's no limits. You know, if he can teach himself how to play the piano, you know, being blind, um, all of us are capable of great things. And one of the cool things that when he was, when he was here in Utah during one of his trips, he, we, we were, we were listening to some music and I had read on the internet, the song amazing grace was originally written for, do you guys play the piano at all? Uh,
1: a little bit. I do.
2: Bit. But, you, but you guys know, because you guys have your eyesight, but like there's white and black keys, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I read that amazing grace was actually written for the black keys. Okay. I grew up playing the piano and that's not the way that, you know, playing that song I played it. And so I asked Kuhao. I just said, Hey, this amazing grace, he knows amazing grace. and He could play it. I said, Hey, that was originally written for the black keys. Could you, could you play just the black keys? And he said, yeah. And then he just kind of sat there and he didn't do anything. And then he, he told me to come over and I was like, what's up? And he's like, cause there, there's other people in the room. And he said, which ones are the black keys? And so nobody had explained to him that the raised keys on the keyboard were actually black keys and white keys. And, and I think that that's kind of like one of his messages too, is he doesn't, obviously he's blind, but like, he doesn't see differences between people. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he would treat anybody just the same. Um, I think that it was refreshing to be around that because he was his genuine self with every single person he came in contact
0: with in my time knowing him. Back when you were around our age, what was your life back? Life like back then? Like, What was your high school um, years like?
2: Yeah, my high school years. So you guys are, are you guys sophomores? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in, interestingly enough, you hit me at the right time because you guys are sophomores. Um, I, when I started high school, um, soccer has been a big part of my family growing up in my life as well. And so I I made the I made the high school team my freshman year and was playing right, but around the time my it was my sophomore year it was around this time It was actually I think in January or February I I I think the high school tryouts were coming up again and I I think it was you know assumed that I'd make the team, but I had an accident I also skateboarded and I went to a, like a skateboarding um, event here at a local indoor place that had ramps and rails. Ended up trying to do a trick um, and hyperextended my leg and I tore my ACL. And and then a week after that, I went to a – so I went to Mountain Crest. Week after that, like I was in a straight leg brace coming home from a basketball game. Stopped at the light out in Hiram by the McDonald's, if you guys are familiar with that. And there was a a car that was coming fast behind me. I was stopped. They weren't slowing down and it was icy given the the time of year and I got rear-ended and that compressed my knee even more and made it so well, I was hopeful that I wouldn't have to have surgery, but that completely messed up my knee and the doctors told me um, that I needed surgery, but they didn't want to give me um, surgery because my growth plates weren't closed. They're like, there's a chance if we give you surgery right now and try to fix it, but we're gonna stunt the growth in your leg and you don't wanna have one leg shorter than the other one. And so at the time, right, like a lot of things that happened over the years, that, that was a while ago, um, it felt like my world was kind of crashing down on me. Um, soccer was what I, it's kind of how I identified myself with a group of friends I was hanging out with. And I couldn't play. Like I, I, I was waiting to have surgery and I couldn't do anything that involved my knee and running around. And so, you know, I don't know if you guys have had anything, you know, relatable, like similar experiences. Right. But like, that's, that's one of the hardest things in high school is to, you're trying to figure out who you are as an individual. Right. And I felt like, my identity had been taken away and I needed to find something else to replace it. And that's when I got into like whitewater kayaking. I had an older brother and friends that were into kayaking and, and in a kayak, you don't really need to use your knee. You know, you're not running around, you're sitting there with your, with your legs and thigh hooks. And so that's kind of what led me into kayaking, which I mean, that's a whole other story, right? Like there's so much of my life that has revolved around like paddle sports and kayaking. That you know, all because of that injury, you know, when I was your guys. So be careful. (laughs) Don't be careful. Don't go, don't go skateboarding, you know, certainly around your age. Hopefully you guys don't have any injuries like that to sideline you from what you want to do. But um, other, other things though, besides kayaking, like I I did, I kind of came, I don't think I was ever like a really reserved person, but I really enjoyed being around people. And I, you know, instead of playing soccer, I was, uh, you know, one of the student body officers and had leadership positions. And I really like pushed myself instead of feeling bad for myself, pushing myself to just, just to get out of myself. Right. And, and, you know, think more in terms of like the impact that I can make and and quit feeling sorry for myself basically. So yeah, it was like a, a pivotal time in my life. One that certainly molded me and, you know, has helped me become who I am today, but it was, it was difficult um, going through that, but, you know, I had a good support unit with family and friends and it was, you know, I made, I made it through.
1: I, I love that. Um, many of our listeners may suffer from depression, anxiety. Um, it's a real problem with kids, uh, of our age these days. Um, setbacks like your leg injury could put people in a tailspin. Um, what would you tell any of our listeners who might be listening right now?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a real, like a real, that's, that's a reality for sure. Um, I think it's important to confide in your own support unit. I think all of us have, you know, hopefully people we can, we can trust and lean on during hard times. They think talking about that with other individuals is certainly helpful. Um, and I think it's safe to say that all of us have struggles. It doesn't matter who we are right? Like, I, I think that a lot of people are good at hiding things. But the reality is all of us struggle with something, at, at, you know, at one point, you know, in our lives or another, especially in high school, like I said, like, that's such a, a crucial period of time in your life trying to figure out who you are. And, you know, your self identity. And, um, you know, I'm a I'm a huge proponent of just finding something that, that makes you tick. I, I think that's different from other, you know, from for every, every period, every, every person out there but for me you know that was that was kayaking and that was like you know doing you know i guess serving and having leadership positions um but that's how i would just i guess push people to try to find that that thing that makes them tick you know like what what is it that like gets you excited about life um and talk to people you know about what you're going through and and try to confide confide in somebody else
0: yeah that could uh really help out some people. Um, so back to your kayaking, Mm -hmm. um, how did you like, how do I say this? Um, how do you, uh, how did you take that hobby or the thing that you learned from not being able to play soccer and taking it to kayaking? How did that help you Uh, take that to another level of skill and eventually turn out a business into it?
2: You know, it all stems around passion. I think that's one of the biggest things with businesses. It was never, never my thought or intention getting into it, right. To like launch a business. It was my outlet. It was the way that I coped with the position that I was in. Um, But participating in the sport for a number of years, like when we would get off the river It's one of those things I mean, there's, there's obviously inherent risks with kayaking and it's not something you can necessarily just teach yourself how to do. Um, and so we, I heard it enough times getting off the river, you know, people would watch us go down and then take our, you know, take, take off. And and they would say, Hey, like, how did you learn how to kayak? And I had a brother and friends that were in the sport and that's how I got on, got into it. and, And they said, do you know anybody that teaches lessons? And at the time, like around here, There wasn't anything like happening. Um, No, no entity or a formal business that taught kayak classes, and so that I heard that enough times, and I I realized that I could potentially start a business um, doing that, and that's kind of what propelled me to to start Rapid Progression Kayak School. I was it was two thousand nine when I started it, and I was I believe I was a senior. I was just finishing up my undergraduate work at Utah State. And so that's where, that's where it all kind of stemmed from is hearing that enough times from people that there was an actual demand and that people wanted it. Cause I had the need existed because I heard it enough times from people. And then I had the experience, right. I had been paddling for over a decade. Um, and then, you know, what I lacked were just the resources, you know, to buy the equipment and stuff. And then, um, and so that, 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 kind of led to that. And I, you know, maybe you're going to ask me a question, follow following up to what you just asked me, but one of the things I think it kind of goes hand in hand with the prior question you asked, you know, about people struggling. Like, like I've mentioned, like kayaking for me has done so much. It was my outlet. Like it, I, being on the river and being active made it so I didn't dwell on the things that were, that were bothering me, at, you know, in life. And that wasn't just in high school. I mean, as funny as it sounds, I'm happily married now. I'm so glad I found my wife. But before meeting her, I remember I had kind of like a heartbreak situation with a, a girl that I had, you know, been dating and I felt kind of crushed because she broke it off. And the only way that I could get that off of my mind right after that breakup was being on the river. Right. And so that was like my coping mechanism with disappointments. Um, but right now, I, it's always been a dream of mine to get more youth involved in paddle sports. Um, not only just because it meant so much for me, but I feel like that there's, you know, there's a lack of, um, you know, I, I think there's opportunities, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities that exist out there for student, for kids to get involved in outdoor activities, but the barrier for some people might be the money p- portion of it. And so one of the things that I'm working on and I am filing the paperwork here pretty soon is to start a nonprofit to be able to, to offer that to more people you know, that, that uh, might not otherwise have the, the monetary means to, to actually, you know, put their kids through, you know, some lessons. And so I'm excited to share that passion with people, but back to your original question about how I got into it, it all started with that passion of kayaking and just doing it for a number
0: of years. Um, did you ever like, before you ended up hyperextending your leg, um, did you ever think about getting into kayaking at all? yeah good question i did you know
2: i uh, as i mentioned my one of my brothers an older brother uh, lived up in jackson hole wyoming and and he was into kayaking and so we would you know there's a couple times i remember growing up family vacations driving up to jackson hole if you've ever been up there before you get to jackson you pass the snake river there's a rapid there called lunch counter and it forms like a freestanding wave and at the right level you can actually surf it you know in a kayak or on a surfboard and so i remember watching him when i was younger get on that wave and surf, and thinking, like, how awesome that was, right, but, but once again, there was kind of a barrier for me, like, I didn't have anybody at that time, he was living away from home, and so, like, learning how to get into kayaking, like, I think I kind of lucked out, there were people here in the valley, and, you know, and the kayaking community was fairly small, they, they knew that I expressed an interest in that, and that's kind of how I got into it, but yeah, like, before the knee injury, that was something that, that I wanted to do, but I just didn't, like, my, my time was kind of just all taken up by, by soccer, you know, and so I,
1: I replaced that after the injury. Great. Um, listeners, this is a, this is the difference between surviving in life and thriving in life. Andy took a trial in his life, uh, breaking, uh, in hyperextending his knee and made it into a, uh, and found something else out of it that was better. Instead of finding, the bads in life, you can find the goods in life, and and make he made a business out of it. And that just shows what you can do if you look at stuff with a different perspective. Um, so let, we're gonna move on a little bit now to like your fatherhood. Um, you have three boys now. Um, how has that changed the way you approach life? Are you still kayaking massive white water and dropping off cliffs, or have you dialed that back a little bit? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I am certainly not risk adverse, but I am more so now than I was. Um, yeah, the appeal, you know, when I when I first got into the sport, I really love watching videos of people doing. So they if you if you know about whitewater, it's rated class one being the easiest and class five being the most difficult. So it was always kind of like those aspirations I had to like go off of waterfalls and and go and hit like class five stuff, and I've done you know, a, a little bit of that over the years. But as soon as I, you know, got married, things changed. Then the first kid came along and things changed some more and, you know, three kids later, you know, I, I, I still like to kayak difficult stretches of river, but I think it changes my perspective and, and what I, you know, the important things in life. It's not about, I, f- I feel like that's, that's a little selfish of me to want to go and do those things because I, I feel like paddling something difficult and going off of a waterfall is more like self, Attainment and self fulfillment. But uh, I've, yeah, I've definitely, if you were to look at the Andy now compared to the Andy of years prior, before having a family looking at a class five rapid, um, the Andy, the younger Andy, probably would have hopped right in, you know, thrown throw a caution to the wind and hopped right in his kayak and not given it a second thought. And I've, I've definitely walked around some rapids that I probably would have paddled uh, previously. So it has changed my perspective. You know, I feel like I'm living not just for myself, but but for my kids and for my wife.
1: Nice. Um. Uh. I noticed that your boys have really sh- like strong names, like Elijah and Noah. Um. Uh. Can you tell us why you picked those names?
2: Uh. Yeah. Yeah. All of our kids. Yeah. Elijah is our, our oldest, and Noah is our second son, and then Lincoln's our third. Um. I think it's important to have, you know, I. I think I'm going to throw people off if we have, by the way, my wife's pregnant with our fourth. Don't know if it's going to be a girl or a boy. We're going to be surprised. We kind of joke about that though. If it was a fourth boy, we could probably throw, throw them off by, uh, you know, naming him Bob or something like that. But yeah, you're right. We have, we have kids with pretty strong names and, you know, I, I think that number one, we like the name, but you know, Secondly, I, I think that those names are strong and the, there's people that have had those names in the past that, that have, uh, you know, been, you know, somebody, somebody good to look up to, you know, for what they would what, what they've done. And that's what I hope my kids would do is, you know, kind of think more in terms of like what, you know, who else carried that name, you know, in the history of the world and what they've done to kind of make their mark and know that, You know, it's not just about us. Think outside of ourselves and and try to make an impact, you know, wherever we can.
0: Um, So you're fluent in Spanish. Um, I am. And I personally actually want to be bilingual. I'm actually taking German right now. Um, But since you and your wife actually both speak Spanish, do you guys speak it together like around your kids and like teach them to your kids at all?
2: You know we we've kind of failed on that front. Both of both of us speak Spanish. My wife, my in-laws, my wife's parents are from Mexico, and so she grew up speaking Spanish, so she's bilingual. Um we wish we, you know, we would have been better with them growing up speaking Spanish, but the good news is that our oldest got into the dual language dual language immersion program uh within Cache County School District, and so he's a lot of the classes are taught in Spanish and so when we do speak in Spanish at least we've been we've been better about it recently but in the past when we when we were you know talking Spanish to each other it's probably when we don't want the kids knowing what we're talking about right so no unfortunately I wish we were better at that um, we are doing better compared to what we've done in the past and you know gratefully like I said Eli is part of that that uh, language immersion program and we're crossing our fingers, we applied and hopefully Noah gets admitted too.
1: That's really cool. Um, yeah, I'd love to be able to speak Spanish. So um, you learned how to speak Spanish living in Guatemala. Um, why did you move to Guatemala at age 19? Good question.
2: For uh, I guess that's kind of an inferred type of thing, right? 19 years old from, from Utah. I served a mission for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day saints. And that's where I was assigned to. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny. You mentioned studying German. I studied German in high school. And here's, here's, here's the crazy thing about it. I was, I wasn't anticipating going abroad for, for mission service. I didn't have my hopes up because of, of the state of my knee. I had surgery when I was in high school and they fixed it, but I was told not to expect to be sent abroad And if I was sent abroad to expect to go somewhere where they had good hospitals. And so when I got that, the mission call to go and serve in Guatemala, it was quite a surprise for me. I was so, so excited to learn Spanish um, and especially having the opportunity to go abroad, but that's what took me to Guatemala. That's why I moved there was
1: um, serving a mission for the, for the church. I love that. Um, It seems like your heart has never left Guatemala. Um, You started a business to help preserve their culture of weaving. Um, This business is called Weave Sleeve. Um, You just want to tell us a little bit about the Weave Sleeve business you started?
2: Sure, yeah. So when I was down there, one of the the cool things about um, just traveling in general is just individuals' identities and just different cultures. You know, if you've had the opportunity to go to like just different countries in general, there's just different things that jump out at you, you know, while you're there. And one of the things in Guatemala that's really neat is just the textiles. They have handwoven textiles in a different different areas of the country. the The textiles are, are, are different, and so it was neat for me to move around to different parts of the country and see those vibrant, um, really colorful textiles that these women were were hand. It was yeah, all handwoven, and being able to see that was was pretty neat. So I remember coming home with a few handwoven items, some bags that I used while I was a missionary, and. I went after I got married that was the first time I went back and visited Guatemala so it was you know a number of years after I had been there and I remember the first thing that I noticed it seemed like that there was less of there's still don't get me wrong like there's a handwoven um, things things that you can see there um, people were still wearing some of those typical outfits that are handwoven but I felt like I saw less of that than when I did on my mission and so kind of concerning for me but I had a discussion with somebody um, there some some kids that had um, some parents, uh, you know, grandparents that knew how to weave. And I asked them if they knew how to weave. And they said they didn't. And the reason why is because there wasn't money to be made doing it. So, you know, all of, you know, the situation that they were in, you know, being in that country, a lot of them were, you know, living day to day, struggling to put food on the table. And so they had to kind of chase where they could make the money. And hand woven items weren't what was making the money, like they had to do different things. And so that's kind of where the idea stemmed from. I wanted to create a platform here in the United States where we could take handwoven, this handwoven textile and repurpose it and like sew it into different things and create, you know, sleeves for, you know, we started making wallets and, and sleeves for electronic items. And so always kind of basing it around that handwoven textile, but creating it, creating something where people could use it um, daily, like in a different way, right? Instead of like of just like a wearable. so that's, that's where that started from. And it's, it's been neat because um, you know, I haven't had as big of an impact as I would like to have had, but going there over the years with, you know, with that business and and watching the change that's happened within a little small community, you know, pretty, pretty fulfilling to sit next to, you know, three generations of women, right? Like grandmother, mother and daughter weaving together. And knowing that prior to that, like the youngest generation may not have learned that that skill set had had there not been the opportunity to make money, you know, weaving those fabrics for the company that we started.
1: Great. I have a weave sleeve and I I use it nice. every single day. I love it. They're they're so cool. They're like they fit my pocket pocket so easily. Um, I yeah,
2: I appreciate that plug. Yeah, it's it's been fun to
1: develop something that people can use.
2: You know, to carry everyday necessities and to also know that they're, you know, carrying a culture is kind of like our, you know, our, our motto or our slogan. You know, that really is helping out, you know, that, giving that, that support to them.
1: Are you still um, selling these weave sleeves? Like, can people get them still?
2: Yeah, yep. So weavesleeve.com is, is what we have up and running right now. Just being in the situation I am as a dad and stuff, with different things i've been focusing on and it's kind of, it's kind of remained when i say stagnant we, just, we receive um, sales on the internet still but as far as like developing new products and stuff we're, we have some ideas that are you know that are things that we want to incorporate soon but yeah if, if people want to buy things or look what's available right now you can go to leafsleep.com and there's some wallets for sale there sweet. sweet
1: i'll put that on the website and everything we can... cool. Okay. Yeah. There will be a link in the description, listeners. You have your own businesses, but I also know you work at uh, Utah State University. Um, Do you prefer having your own businesses and working for yourself or working for a large employer?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I absolutely feel like I hit the jackpot with with the job that I have currently working at Utah State University. I work in, it's called the Center for Entrepreneurship in the Huntsman School of Business. So number one, like I graduated from Utah State as a business student from the Huntsman School. And so being able to work there has meant a lot to me, but I'm also doing things that I'm passionate about, right? Like I, we've talked about all these little businesses that I've launched. Those businesses have never afforded me um, the opportunity to step away from a nine to five job. Even after graduation, like I've, from Utah State, I've always had a nine to five job, right? And, and the way that I view that is that there's more than 40 hours in a work week And it's good to have, you know, what we call side hustles or side gigs. And so I've always had, you know, that that on on the forefront of my mind, more than 40 hours in a week, I'll dedicate that time to my job, which I've I've had jobs in the past that I haven't liked. I should throw that out there, right? I mean, everybody has to have those experiences. Um, And I I should be careful how I phrase that because I didn't like it at the time. Um, I worked in fast food for a number of years starting in high school. I've, i worked at Wendy's. I worked at McDonald's as a manager. That's not like the most exciting job. I don't know if you guys can relate, if you guys have had a job, you know, working in that industry. Um, but it certainly like molded me and, and shaped me into who I am today. Like, I think it was important for me to learn. And I actually, you know, working at McDonald's gave me an opportunity to kind of see firsthand as a manager how like a business is ran. Um, and, 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 and help me just in general, right. With like my, my my own things that I've dedicated my time to. But um, yeah, the Center for Entrepreneurship, like I get to help students launch businesses. We have competitions that we oversee. I help manage a program where we send students abroad to teach entrepreneurial skills to uh, people that are less fortunate in developing countries. It's called the SEED program. Um, it stands for Small Enterprise Education and Development. And so it's neat, like just seeing the impact that, that business has in the lives of everyone. It doesn't matter who we are. doesn't matter what your major is. All of us are gonna be impacted by business one way or another. We're all gonna to have to go out and work for somebody or work for ourselves. But I feel like it's been a good fit for me having like the nine to five job, especially one that I love so much and then being able to take that extra time during the week and you know, dedicate that to, to some of the things that I have in the, on the, you know, that are on the burner, if you will.
0: Um, what is the hardest job you've ever had? <laughs> the hard, then one,
2: one thing comes to mind, once again, it was uh, one of those character shaping or molding opportunities for me, but I feel like I've, I've always been kind of driven entrepreneurially. Um, and I've always been interested in, in creating value and, you know, for others and trying to make money and, and doing different things. I had a paper out, which was, you know, pretty difficult, especially on Sunday mornings when I had to wake up. But I remember one summer um, I wanted to go and pick uh, raspberries. And so my, my parents were very supportive. Um, Actually it was probably like a 20, 20 or 25 minute drive from my house. And I remember my mom dropping me off like early in the morning to go pick uh, raspberries at this raspberry patch. And you got picked based off of what you were able, I mean, you got paid based off of what you're able to pick. And I remember being so depressed because at the end of, you know, six hours of being in the hot sun and sweating, taking what what little amount of berries that I had. You see, we had buckets, right? We we pick them into buckets and dump them into these cases. We got paid by a case, and they had to weigh it out. But I remember um, going and having it weighed out and like comparing it to the other people. You know, I was I was one of one of few. Um, the majority of the people that were there picking were immigrant workers, and I was I was just stunned about how you know how fast they could do that and on top of that the reason why I bring this up is just how impactful it was is I remember watching you know family work together and there were there were some kids that were younger than me this is when I this is before high school I was in middle school at the time and I remember being pretty depressed about here I am working for myself trying to get money to buy things that I want it was it was really cool for me to see these families coming together these immigrant families um, kids younger than me picking berries with their with their family, their moms and contributing that and hearing like them talk amongst themselves. Um, you know, I think I think one of the kids was, said that, that they were gonna use some of the money to buy shoes for him. And that was, like I said, it was impactful. It's like, wow, like here I am, like worrying probably at the time about getting a video game or something, you know, and like they're like contributing to their family, um, trying to just get the basic necessities of life. But that was difficult. I didn't do it for that long. Um, yeah, extremely difficult in the sun, and I and I I felt like I just didn't didn't do very good with the amount I was able to pick, but um, I think every job you have has its difficult um, pieces to it. But that's you know I'm a huge proponent of of taking on those kind of tasks. That's how we grow, right? You have to push yourself. If you don't have those difficulties, you're never going to grow as an individual. And so I mean I I, I think that's really important for anybody, you know regardless of what stage of life you're in right now, is having those, those opportunities.
1: That's so good, that's, that's great. Um, what, tell us a little bit more about that uh, SEED program you're talking about.
2: Yeah, so the SEED program is it's essentially, like a, it's a two semester program. And so it's, it's very competitive, but it's open to students of all majors. And that's what's neat, is that students that are outside of the business school realize the importance the business has just in the, in the lives of everybody in general. And so students apply um, to the program, if they're selected, they go through a semester of training where we essentially teach them how to be business consultants. And so that first semester start, it started in, in classroom setting. They, they learn how to teach specific lessons. And then the next semester they're sent to a country. Um, Pre-COVID, before the program was suspended because of travel restrictions, we were in, in Latin America, we were in the Dominican Republic, Guatemala and Peru. And then those are the Spanish speaking countries. And then we are also in Ghana and the Philippines. So five different countries with, with multiple locations in some of those countries. And so the students, we'd send them out every, every single semester. So it's basically a 12 week program in country and they would do anything from teaching, you know, group classes to people within the community that were wanting to start businesses to doing one-on-one mentorship with people that had, been, had already started their own businesses that were trying to become, you know, self-sustaining and self-reliant. And so, you know, it's been awesome for me in my position to watch students not only be impacted by the program on a personal level, but knowing that that's one thing I hear often in my position, you know, students will come into our center for entrepreneurship and say, you know, I want to, I want to make an impact in the world, but I want to, you know, I I, I recognize that I've got to have a career, you know, I've got to have a set career. That's not, that's not true. These students are going out into the field with the amount of education they have now, And they're able to make an impact in the lives of these individuals, you know, and and helping them, you know, create, create jobs for their community and create a way to actually Sorry guys, turn that off and create, create a way to uh, provide for their families. And so it's been, it's been incredibly impactful. And like I said, it's been awesome because it's open to students of all majors and it gives them that opportunity to, you know, give back this young in, in their lives.
0: Little wrap it up. One last question. Um, if you could go back and talk to your 16 year old self, uh, what would you say to yourself?
2: (laughs) Oh, that's a hard one. I'd have to The first thing that comes to my mind is probably just push, push through. I don't, I don't, I'm I'm the first one to admit, I don't feel like I was dealt, you know, uh, a hand of cards, if you, if you will, that was extremely difficult, but like at that time in my life with my knee injury, I I didn't obviously, you know, you're in the moment, you don't know what's going to happen. And looking back in retrospect, I'm I'm grateful. You know, it sounds kind of weird. I mean, I would have loved to have continued playing soccer, but my, my life panned out the way that it did but I probably would just, just you know, give, give some sort of encouragement to my younger self, you know? And I received that, like gratefully, I received that from, the, from, you know, people that were around me and my support unit and family and friends, but um, yeah, you know, keep your chin up, push push forward, push through, like the, sun, the sun's gonna come up tomorrow, you know, and it's gonna shine and, and, and things are gonna continue to, you know, you can, you can keep on living you know, you just got to put forth that effort. And so that's probably what I'd say.
1: I love that. That's so good for our listeners and just anyone that's going through a hard time or anything. Um, well, that, that kind of wraps up our interview. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I think a lot of people benefit off this and just listening to other people and what they've taken, they've taken a trial and turned it into a blessing and, uh, we got to do a follow-up maybe sometime. Um, And yeah, I just really appreciate you getting on with us.
2: Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. You guys, one, one last thing for your listeners out there, if any of you are, you know, struggling with something, like I said, kayaking and paddle sports for me was an outlet. If anybody's struggling out there and you want to get in touch with me and would like to see if paddle sports was an opportunity for you to kind of forget, you know, the state that you're in right now. um, I encourage you to reach out to me. I'd love to, No cost, get to get you out on the water
1: and see if if that helps. Great, awesome. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. And off to see you out on the water sometime in the near future.
2: Okay, looking forward to it. Thanks, you guys. Thank you so much.
1: Well,
0: guys, I hope you love that. I personally did. It was was really cool. Andy's such a cool guy, he's really cool. Um, so if you guys want to check out his company's Weave Sleeve. Dot com. We where dot they go com. for uh, the wallets. Yes,
1: the wallets. I personally have one and I love it. It's yes. so nice. Like it's not like this fat thing sitting in your pocket. Like it's just like it's just like small, fits in perfectly, and it holds everything too. Actually, I have in my pocket right now. You want to see it, Carter? Oh, I do want to see. Okay. Here. Oh, Look yeah. at
0: that. Lucius gave me one today. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's, they're they're super cool. It's like you don't need the big girthy boy in your pocket, like bulging out of your pocket. Um, but yeah, it fits credit cards, cash, has this rubber band, keeps everything in it. Yeah. What did Andy
1: say about it? He said, um, something like along the lines of, you're not just carrying around your money, but you're also carrying around a part of history or culture, culture. culture. And I think that's just so cool. Yeah. Also, if you want to check out his rapid progression kayak school, which is what I went to. Boys. Uh, it's really cool and great way to get outdoors, try new activity. And he does a great job teaching it. Like he makes it fun and like you have a good time, but he also teaches you like how to water raft. It's great. It's awesome. It's fun. Um, th- to find this, you can go to rapidprogressionkayak.com. All one word, no caps. It will
0: be in the description as well. It will be. And Weasley will be at well. Weasley. <laughs> as well. <laughs> Weasley will be at um, little. Little so yeah I hope you guys liked that episode be sure to check out our website leave a review leave a review www.thehighschoolf.com check us out check out socials socials Socials. Uh, we have a Facebook now Mm that will be in the description uh, as well so we will see you guys in a few days and as we always say and always will say and forever will say forever will say goodbye Goodbye and and good night